How many of you want a blessed life? Kind of, kind of, duh, kind of a no-brainer, right? We all want a blessed life. How many of you would like to know that your prayers will be answered? Same thing. Well, here's the great news is here in this little passage of Scripture, Peter is showing us how to have a life that is truly blessed by God, that we will have an inherited blessing or will obtain God's blessing. And not only God's blessing, but we're going to discover as we look through this passage that we're going to um, inherit the blessing even of those who are against us. And so this passage is incredibly practical in its approach, in what it's telling us to do. Our study here focuses in on the life that God himself will bless and the conditions of our heart that lead to answered prayers. And what Peter does here in this passage is it's almost like running through the back of his mind are the Beatitudes of Jesus that we find in the Sermon on the Mount. Because you can see imprinted on what he's saying the very words and heart of Jesus from that sermon where he talks about blessed, um, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy and blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. He's echoing those same things because he's talking about how you and I can enter into the blessing of God. And in a sense, it's almost like we're, we're entering into a river which flows with God's presence, power, and blessing. Now, it's not a blessing um, that you might hear in a prosperity gospel where if you do these things, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's not the kind of blessing that this is talking about. It's talking about being connected to the life of God, to the resurrection presence of Jesus Christ that can transform even the darkest of circumstances and fill them with life. Because this whole passage is set in the midst of of suffering. It's set in the midst of the reality of where we live in our world, a world that is broken, but that has a brilliant, beautiful, radiant hope in Jesus Christ. So what does he do? What does he tell us? Well, let's begin to look at this. Verse 9, we're going to look at verses 8 through 12 specifically, but we're going to start with verse 9 for a moment. He says, do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For through this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. What this is, is our assignment. It is the work that God has given to us as followers of Jesus Christ. If we want a blessed life, we need to do the work of blessing others. That's what he's calling us to. And so what we should engage in every day is asking the Lord, Lord, who do you want to bless through me today? That's a calling. Did you see what it said? This is your calling. And he's going to go on and say how we walk in the steps of a saint. But as we looked at last week, what we're really talking about here is spiritual diplomacy. We're to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We're to practice a spiritual diplomacy, which means all that we do should be done as if Jesus is standing right next to us in every situation. Because you know what? He is. He is right there with you. You are never alone. Therefore, we don't have anything to fear. But also, 
because he is right with us, we know he can use us in each and every circumstance that we're in. And so Peter begins this passage, this section, with um, a saint's calling, that the work we are called to do is to recognize that we have been blessed to bless others, and all of us have. Whether we're wealthy or poor, God has given resources into our life that are designed to overflow from us into the lives of others. We are called to bless. And not only to bless God, but specifically to bless others. What Peter implies in this text as well is if we, if we go on and we look at it, we discover that there will come a time when even those who are against us will turn and see how God has used us for good. If we turn back for, for a moment to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, it kind of sets the stage for how this is lived. He says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles or among the nations honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, on the day that Jesus returns. As ambassadors, spiritual ambassadors, he's saying that our life, our conduct is incredibly important. When Jesus did his earthly ministry, the number one sin that he spoke against was hypocrisy, especially amongst those who claimed to be religious. You see, to claim to know God, to have fellowship with God, to claim to obey God, and then not live the example that Jesus Christ has given to us is great sin and hypocrisy. On the other hand, when we engage in a life that looks like Jesus and that blesses others as Jesus has blessed us, It silences those who would be against us, and it shows the greatness and grace of God. And it promises that one day, even those who are your enemies will see what God has done in you and through you and give a blessing. That's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool promise. Well, let's look at this passage in depth. And we're going to start here in verse 8. And I'm going to make it all the way through the first word, finally. All right. Now, how many of you listen for that word when the preacher is up preaching? Finally. Do you you want to know what that means? It has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not he's getting ready to be done. It, It means nothing like that. So no matter how many times I say finally... Don't believe I'm almost done, okay? Just, I'm just giving you a heads up. Because here, this is in the exact middle of his letter, and he's saying finally. What finally means is this is the whole point of everything. This is where I'm bringing everything I've said before and everything that I'm going to say afterwards flows from this point. That's why Peter wants to, to get our attention. And so he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life 
and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. There's great promises here. And he's saying, here's how you are to live. Here's how you're to be my ambassadors in this world. And the result is, I will hear your prayers, I will answer them, and I will bless you if you do these things. And and what I'm calling this is, these are the steps that we are to walk in as a saint, as one that is set apart by God for obedience to Jesus Christ. This is what he's calling us to do. And there's seven steps here of walking like a saint. And he says, this is how you're to serve one another. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. The first point, the first step that we're to take as followers of Jesus Christ is to have one mind. And what that means is that we have to honor others. Because, you see, it doesn't work if the one mind I think we're supposed to have is mine. And I expect all of you to have the same opinion, the same thoughts as me. That won't work because I guarantee you, you don't have that same mind. In fact, I guarantee you, you don't even want to have that mind. It is a scary place inside of here. I have spent all my life in it, and it is frightening. So you don't want my mind, and no offense, I don't want yours either. We want to have the same mind, and that mind is the mind of Christ. This is why God's Word is so important to us. There is no way for us to have a unity of mind and to honor one another and to build one another up with this understanding of having a unified mind if we don't know the mind of Christ which is revealed in His Word. That's why it's so important for us to spend time every day just sinking our heart, our thoughts into God's Word and meditating on it because God is revealing who He is to us. He's revealing his mind. So this commandment brings us back to the need to know God's word. It also reminds us that what we're to do is to seek to understand more than we seek to be understood. To honor one another. To recognize that God is working in the heart and life of each and every person in his body. We need to believe in each other. Not because we deserve it or I deserve it because Jesus does, because he is at work. And what we need to remember is that we are one, but we're not all the same. Um, While we should be of one mind, we can't expect everyone to be like us, to have the exact same convictions and, and priorities in our life. Now, what I found is the closer we grow to Christ, the closer we grow to, to each other as well. But we're not the same. If you think about it as the example that's given in the scripture of a body, um, in your body, every cell that you have is different. The cells in your liver are different than the cells in your skin. But all of them have the same DNA imprint. They have the same master plan, but they have a unique purpose. But every cell in the body not only has that same master plan, it is all united under one mind unless you're schizophrenic, and then it doesn't work, and the whole illustration breaks down. But that's how it's supposed to work. We're a body. We're not supposed to be identical, 
We have unique gifts and unique functions, but one mind and one master plan. And if we're to walk in the steps of a saint, we need to have a unified mind, the mind of Christ, and honor one another. This is what Jesus did. And this whole context has been under the theme of respect. So step one is have unity of mind. Step two, he says, have sympathy. We are to help one another because the sympathy isn't just about our feelings, it's about our actions. And what it literally means is to suffer with someone else. It means to have the same passion that they have. And that's why in Romans, it's, we're told we're to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to have sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart. God calls us to be intentional in our love for one another. We're to be tenderhearted and compassionate towards others, so much so that when one person suffers, we suffer with them. You see, that is love. And isn't that what we all desire? When you're going through a hard time, um, if if you're a husband and wife and you're going through a struggle, um, don't you want your spouse to suffer a little with you? Not in that they hurt, but in that they identify with where you are. That is so important. Now, as husbands, our problem, our challenge is we're fixers. And so when my wife is struggling and going through a problem, I think it's my responsibility to fix it. And usually I can't fix it, and so I just feel frustrated because there's nothing I can do about it. And she didn't want me to fix it in the first place. She just wants me to be with her, to understand. That's what he's saying here, should identify all of us as the body of Christ. In fact, Paul, in his letter to the church at Galatian, puts it this way. He says, brothers... If anyone is caught in any transgression, in any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he he deceives himself. What Paul here is saying is the same thing that Peter is summarizing. He's saying we are to be so connected to one another that even when we sin, we understand where the person is. We walk to a certain degree in their shoes in in trying to understand where they're coming from. Now, he cautions us to be careful that we don't fall into sin because it's like quicksand. You know, if If I fall into the quicksand, there's no way I can help the person who's already trapped. That's what happens with sin. But we're to walk in the shoes of others. We're to empathize with them even when they fail, when they sin, when they have a transgression. We're to guard our own hearts from sin and pride, not be judgmental. How different this is than what people expect of religious people. They expect judgment. And here he's saying, have sympathy, be tenderhearted, be gentle. The focus here is on the body of Christ and to recognize that fellow believers ultimately are more important than us as an individual. 
If I was to give you the great theology of Star Trek, I would use Spock's words and say, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Not scripture, but a pretty good idea, right? It's, It's what we're supposed to do. What really it points us to is to recognize it's not about me. It's about him and it's about serving others. We are called to help others, to have sympathy, literally to suffer with them. And it's a reminder of Jesus' claim that what will proclaim that we truly are his followers is this, that he said in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, a genuine love for each other. Well, what else does does Peter tell us here? He goes on and he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, and don't repay evil for evil. Well, this tender heart is one that's really, really important. And what I think it means is that we choose God's heart over our head. Choose God's heart over our head. When I was a young pastor, my my mentor gave me a piece of advice that has served me incredibly well for over 30 years of of ministry. And, And he said this, he says, Drew, when you err when dealing with people, when you make a mistake, make a mistake on the side of grace. Choose to be gracious, to be forgiving, to believe in them. Sometimes that will cause you to get burned but it also allows the opportunity for God's Holy Spirit to work in a way that nothing else can. And really what he was, he was encouraging me was to treat others the way God treats me. How many times God has erred on the side of grace in my life, in your life? That's what he's calling us to when he says be tenderhearted, even though With your head, you may think, this person doesn't deserve another chance. They have messed up too many times. They have hurt me too many times. His encouragement is, choose God's heart for them over your head. Now, there's obviously limits to that. No one should go into a circumstance where they're going to get um, abused physically or emotionally. Um, God doesn't um, call us to continually be in that kind of circumstance. But as a general rule, to be tenderhearted means that we're focusing in on what God thinks about them and what He's trying to do rather than whether they meet our expectations. Choosing God's heart over our head. Fourthly, He says to humble yourselves. And I don't know about you, but this is incredibly hard. It's difficult to think it's not about me. But when we humble ourselves, ultimately what we're saying is, I'm going to allow God to balance the scales. A humble mind, Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Humbleness trusts in who God is, that he knows all of the circumstance, and that he is at work. He has promised to be with those who are humble. So it's never a mistake to choose to be humble before the Lord. In fact, his promise is if we humble ourselves before him, he will lift us up. 
We can trust Him because He is good. Well, then the next passage uh, portion of these verses uh, is incredibly important. Now, I want you to, to notice how many of you in your Bibles are these next few verses, starting at verse 10, are they kind of set off to the side? They're, they're indented a little bit. Does everybody see that? I'm, I'm assuming most of the translations will do that. This means this is a quotation from the Old Testament. He's quoting from Psalm 34, and, and, um, and it's, it's an exact translated quotation of the psalm. He says this, For whoever desires to love life and see good days. Is that you? Man, we live in a world where it looks like a whole lot of people do not love life. They're miserable. And let me encourage you. God does not want us to be miserable. Even though this world is broken, He is victorious. And so we shouldn't be a people with a, a, a somber expression and a heavy heart, or um, some of you may not know this reference, but um, in uh, Winnie the Pooh, there's a character, uh, Eeyore. How many of you know who Eeyore is? He's this little donkey who's got the pinned on tail, and you know, everything is, oh, bother. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people in the world think Eeyore is a Christian. You know? I mean, he's depressing. He's boring. We should not be like Eeyore. He's, God's saying is, I want you to love life. I created it. It is good. Even in its brokenness, you will find goodness and joy. And I want to give you fullness. And here's how you can experience it. So we need to make sure we're representing God rightly, not like Eeyore, but the fullness of good life because that is what God desires for us. He says, if you want to desire, if you desire to love life and see good days, here's the things you do. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. How cool is that? What God's saying is if you do this, he's going to notice you. He's going to pay attention to your life and he's going to hear your prayers. Man, that's huge when we recognize what he's promising here. Now, I told you that this is a quotation from Psalm 34. And if we're to turn to Psalm 34, this begins in verse 12 in Psalm 34. But I want you to look at the the verse that leads into it that, that David is saying. Psalm 34, verse 11. He says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And then he goes on to what is quoted in 1 Peter. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? And then he gives the exact same instruction. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. But he begins with what I want to teach you is the fear of the Lord. And and I believe that Peter is quoting from this because he's been trying to give the exact same message. All the verses leading up to this has talked about submitting ourselves to God's authority and those who represent his authority. When he talks about um, submitting to government, it's not because the government is necessarily good. It may be corrupt. But when we do so, we're recognizing that God ultimately is in control. The fear of the Lord is about a respect 
and a trust in the fact that God is good, that God is all-powerful, that God is in control, and that God will accomplish his purpose. Fear, respect, focuses in on who God really is, his character, that he is holy, and that even if, as we see in Peter's circumstance where he's admonishing us to obey the government, he's saying, you know, that doesn't mean that it's always going to be good. There are times when it's going to be incredibly corrupt. Like we saw last week, that this was written during the time of Nero, who would eventually put Peter to death, and Paul as well. But it's trusting that God himself ultimately will balance the scales. That's what it means to have the fear of the Lord. And it's incredibly important and significant that David, or excuse me, that Peter is quoting David here because Psalm 34 was written at a time when David had been anointed the king and he was in hiding. He was in exile, just like 1 Peter is written to. He is running away from King Saul who has tried multiple times to kill him. And he has two opportunities during the writing of Psalm 34 where he is hiding out in a cave where he has the opportunity to take things into his own hands and kill Saul. Two opportunities, and both times his response is, I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. His fear for the Lord was an understanding that God himself would work. God would bring the deliverance he needed, and God would eventually move Um, what Saul was doing, the enemy and animosity that Saul had against King David, he would take care of. God would take care of it. That's what we're being encouraged to do as well, is to place our trust in the fact that God is working, God is good, and we can trust him in the midst of these circumstances. We can submit to him. That's ultimately what he's calling us to do, is to have a respect for him, a trust in him in all that he does. So these are the steps we're to take. When God is with us, we need to remember we have nothing to fear. We can be bold in blessing others. We can be bold even in the midst of suffering, knowing that God will work for his glory and our good. Next week, we're going to look at the safety of a saint. And it's all set in the midst of persecution and trials. But what he wants us to see is that when we trust the Lord, we'll find that he enables us to look like Jesus, to live like Jesus. So what's the next thing he gives us? Well, in verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 3, he gives us this instruction. He says, whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. We are to harness our tongue. A harness is what you would put on a horse, a bit and a bridle in order to control where it goes. And the truth is, oftentimes that is exactly what you and I need for our tongues. Because it is so easy to allow our um, minds to speak long before we processed or prayed and sought what God would have us to respond. We're to harness our tongue. The Bible speaks repeatedly about the danger of the tongue. James puts it this way. 
He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Those are strong words. If I don't control what I say, it doesn't really matter what I say I believe to others because no one is going to believe it. No one is going to count or pay attention to what I say. James in chapter 3 goes on to say, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting the fire, setting a fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Really strong. If we're to walk like Jesus, if we're to be his representatives, to practice spiritual diplomacy, we need to control what we say. We need to harness our tongue. And then number six, we need to heed God's call for holiness. We're to turn away from evil and do good. This means I cannot continue to practice sin and selfishness and pride and disobedience to God and expect God to bless me. We're to cease doing evil and instead engage our lives in doing good. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. In other words, we're to respond like Jesus. And step six and seven are linked together because step seven is that we are to hunt for peace. Let him seek peace and pursue it. This does not simply mean that we are to be peaceful people, but we are to look, we are to work for peace which is not a casual undertaking. It is a search marked by passion and a desire to see God be honored and see people come to faith in Him that drives all that we do. Seeking peace involves a pursuit because if there's anything that is elusive in this world, it is peace. Think about all of the summits our different nations have had trying to arrive at peace. All of the different things that the UN Security Council attempts to do, how effective are they? Most of those peace processes don't last very long because peace is something that comes from God. And so what he's instructing us to do is to trust in him and to be his agents of of bringing about peace. This is why Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Here's how I interpret that. When you are a peacemaker, when you actively engage in relationships and in, in, in the workplace and um, in our world in seeking to make peace between those who are in strife or struggle, you look like Jesus. Because that's what he came to do. He came to make peace between us and God, and to make peace between brother and sister, man and wife, neighbor and neighbor. He came to make peace because he came to undo what sin had done to us. So this needs to be the actual pursuit of our life, looking to make peace. It needs to take place in our marriages, in our families, in, our, in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, we need to be agents of peace. That's what God has called us to. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall look like Jesus. And on and on again in the scriptures, we see this. Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Ephesians 4. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Colossians 3. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Peace and unity go together. But it's something we have to seek and be determined to be agents that bring about peace. And let me tell you, this means um, a lot of work. Peace does not come easily, especially when you're dealing with folks who are very fueled by emotion or long-term hurts and difficulties. But God has called us to be ministers of reconciliation, to be agents of peace. The only peace that ultimately will be found on this earth will be the peace that God works through his people until the day that the Prince of Peace, Jesus himself, returns and ends all strife. But for now, this is our calling. This is our work. Well, these seven steps lead to harmony with God, with others, and with ourselves. For if the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It's an incredible promise when we seek to honor others and have a unified mind, when we seek to empathize and sympathize with others and help them in practical ways as they're dealing with difficulty and struggle, by giving grace to others, by choosing God's heart over simply our thoughts, by humbling ourselves and allowing God to balance the scales, by harnessing our tongue, by heeding God's call for holiness and hunting for peace as much as possible. That's how God calls us to live. And the promise is that if we do, He will bless us, He will hear our prayers, and He will use us. And what's the assignment He gives us? To then go out and be a blessing to others. So my challenge that I'll leave you with today is who is God prompting your heart today to bless? Now, if we look at the context of that this is written in, he may be calling you to bless someone who irritates you, who frustrates you, who you would almost or maybe even actually identify as your enemy. But if we're to be like God, if we're to be his representative, wouldn't that be the person we should bless. I want to encourage you over the next week, just begin your day each day praising Lord and saying, Lord, thank you for the way you've blessed me. Show me who you want me to bless in your name today. And I believe when you begin to practice that, God will bring opportunities of blessing, whatever it looks like, into your life, and you'll be surprised at how he uses you in powerful and beautiful ways ways. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible blessing that you have given to us. Lord, you've given us life. You've given us salvation in Jesus Christ. You've given us hope. You've given us one another. Lord, you've given us everything we need for life 
and godliness. So Lord, begin to stir within us a heart of praise and thanksgiving. And then Lord, we ask that you would enable us to truly build our life on what you have done, to build our life on Jesus Christ, to walk in his steps, to look more and more like him. And then Lord, use us as your agents, as your ambassadors to pursue peace and to bring blessing into the hearts and lives of the people around us. Lord God, show us how to follow you. 